This very special bonus episode is brought to you by our loyal, loving, and generous Patreon and PayPal supporters. If you too would like to join their ranks, go to dollamore.com slash Patreon or dollamore.com slash PayPal. On with the show. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right. Welcome to the show. This very special bonus episode of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me, ladylike. You hate that, don't you? The <laughs> lovely, the talented, the always here co-host, Brittany Page. Right here. And ladylike is just fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, after this last election, I've I've kind of backed off that because you're you're far less ladylike over the course of the last few days than you usually are. What? Yeah, you you know, the the expletives have been Popping off. Yeah, they've, they've been a many. Yeah, well, I'm mad. <laughs> everybody's mad. Everybody's, well, not everybody. Just slightly less than half the country is elated. That's kind of what we have going on today for this special episode, this bonus episode, which is brought to you by our loyal Patreon and PayPal supporters mm-hmm. and also those who shop on Amazon. Yes. We have an author, uh, a pastor who has written a book called Radicalizing Peace. His name is Mark Trailer, And I wanted to have him on, especially given the events of the election. And I have some questions for him because I think the audience knows my views on Christianity, having been a former tongue-talking, dancing-in-the-aisles evangelical Christian for most of my life, and now being a non-believer, being mm-hmm. uh, an evangelical atheist, as it were, mm. to have someone on who, if I was going to go back to the faith, this is the kind of Christian I would be, a guy who really more lives his life and teaches uh, from the pulpit, more of a Galatians Christian, more of a grace kind of guy. So without further ado, Mark Trailer, thank you for being here. We appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you guys so much. It's great to, to be with you and a uh, big fan of the podcast, and I really appreciate you having me. You don't have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> It's so true, though. It's so true. <laughs> it's been a lifelong dream of mine to be on the Doubt It with Dollamore podcast. And today <laughs> I feel I am one step closer to achieving that dream. That, that is awesome. Especially since we've only been around for three years. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's called I Doubt It with Dollamore. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> so so you, you have a relationship with Brittany that goes back several years which is kind of the connection between you and the show. Um, but this book, it is one, I, I don't know if you if you had machinations of how, just how timely it would be when you wrote it, but I think it's needed more now than ever. And I want to read the synopsis. The book is called Radicalizing Peace, How Your Good, Small, Faithful Steps Can Change the World. 
And I want to read the synopsis you sent me. These days we hear a lot about religious radicals. Their extreme actions dominate our headlines and our politics. But is there a different kind of religious radical? Can we commit ourselves to a radically different spirituality? One that will likely get far less attention from the media, do far more to change the world. Perhaps by following the radically counterintuitive teaching of Jesus about loving our enemies, we can become a new kind of extremist. Maybe the most radical thing we can ever do is to truly follow the Prince of Peace. So pretty timely. What what inspired you to write the book, Mark? Well, um, the, some of these themes that are in the book are things that I've spoken about for years. I hadn't thought about compiling it all together. Um, there's a guy in our church who's my publisher, and they really encouraged me to do this. But uh, I'm so glad that they did. And in terms of timeliness, I mean, I don't know that there's been a time where this kind of information uh, hasn't been important and hasn't mattered because there's always, always stuff going on. I think now, of course, with the election of Donald Trump and the fears that we have about uh, his his character and and uh, how reactionary he is, uh, obviously, it gives everything a new urgency. So uh, I'm glad to to be part of that conversation. Usually with guests, we've had several people on on these these bonus episodes. We've had a gay, Latino, HIV positive Donald Trump supporter on. Um, so it, you you're uh, you're in a good cohort. <laughs> yeah, awesome. That's great. Good. Glad to be in good company. So I like to I like to kind of get a little bit of an origin story with some of our guests. So if you could tell us, like, where were you raised? Uh, did you grow up in in a in a attached what's what's the term Brittany in an attached no a, a family that's not broken what, oh what do they a, call a it? nuclear family yeah you know did you what was your what was your life growing up um just you know I was born in 1956 so it was all that leave it to beaver thing <laughs> uh you know the whole deal yeah my family is great family and my parents are you know very connected I have one sister and a uh, big part of my formation was going to church, uh, growing up going to church and experiencing all that. And uh, even from early times, I had a lot of, I don't know, disquiet in my soul about some of the things that I was being taught and some of the uh, attitudes that were being expressed. And uh, honestly, like probably most people of my generation, I would have bailed out, but I just had some really cool friends and that kept me in. And it kept me asking questions and uh, saying uh, I doubt it, you know, even right. without doing more. And uh, <laughs> I really, uh, uh, it really was very formative for me. So in a way, it's kind of a miracle that I didn't bail out with all the questions. But I'm so glad I didn't because I really um, came to find, uh, I guess, a, a more intellectually satisfying, a more credible kind of faith through the process of doubt. I'm a big fan of doubt. Well, what what flavor of Christianity did you grow up inside of? Well, I grew up in the Nazarene church, which in those days, I think they've uh, loosened up a little bit, but in those days it was very strict. Uh, right. You know, no makeup, no uh, movies, couldn't go to the movies. I had to hide the fact uh, that we went to see Mary Poppins. I, You know, we were forbidden to tell my grandmother that we saw that because that was the devil's playhouse and <laughs> mary poppins so, yeah <laughs> certainly mary poppins has had a deeply corrupting effect in my life and, <laughs> and, uh, so you know, there was very very strict uh you know from that 
from that standpoint, no dancing, no cards, no makeup. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, not that I was, you know, wanting to wear makeup. But. So you, you you grew up in the Northwest, I take it, because the Nazarenes have a stranglehold, not quite like the Mormons, but where where did you grow up? Well, no, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, so uh, there was actually, you know, it's just a small little church and a minority group, <laughs> which was the Nazarenes and uh, uh, at that time, but, you know, I mean... During those early 60 periods, you know, there was just no shortage of uh, very strict, very conservative churches of all kinds of flavors. And what would you consider yourself now? Oh, I consider myself a follower of Christ. I, you know, uh, like so many Christians now, we're, we're not liking the term Christian if it stereotypes us as something we're not. And uh, that association... Um, you know, it's tough. I certainly do not think of myself as an evangelical. I think evangelicalism is a hopelessly damaged brand, and I think it's time for the post-evangelicals to emerge, though obviously the evangelicals are are very strong and, and uh, have made themselves known in this election. So what has been the the biggest difference that you've noticed? Because you've been a pastor for a while, and is there a difference in the tone or the emotionality, the the anger that you're seeing from people from when you first started to today? Oh, yeah, I think it's intensified. I, I really think it intensified uh, with the election of Barack Obama eight years ago, um, you know, both at a national level, but also on a personal level. It's a little, may, I may not be the best guy to ask, you know, in terms of just talking to people here and there. I'm in Boise, Idaho. Uh, so, of course, there's a lot of resistance in a place like this, though Boise itself is not Idaho. It's it's a bit of a bubble, and especially uh, where where I am in in the city is uh, in southeast Boise. It's you know pretty educated, pretty sophisticated group. It's not horribly conservative, um, but still there are um, a lot of people who just have a, a deep uh, seated anger about the last eight years that, uh, frankly, I don't understand. So uh, just trying to understand, but uh, it definitely exists, and, and that has been more intense than throughout other periods in my life. Though these same undertones have always existed. I guess there's just certain times where they bubble up with, uh, with a little more aggression than, than they do at others. Do you see that, and I don't, I don't want to say on politics the entire time, but do you see ever a time or a method by which we could extricate politics from religion or, or vice versa? Because, you know, starting in about 1980 with the election of, of Ronald Reagan, for whom I do, you know, still hold deep affinity, um, that's when the religious right and characters like Ralph Reed really came to prominence. And um, my mom, listen, I grew up in northern Idaho. My mom is a Trump delegate. She went to the convention. So oh, I, wow. know, I'm I'm a little too close to this entire well, have, thing. Have fun at Thanksgiving. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. The, yeah, it's it's a good time. So, um, yeah. so my my thing is, you know, having grown up Christian and have in, I mean in ministry, in music ministry in a touring band and all all kinds okay. of, of of wacky shit. Um <laughs> 
I don't understand how someone who believes in the book of Galatians and about grace and about kindness and about love and about the, the red text, about the red letters in the Bible, how yeah. they could vote and vociferously support a man like Donald Trump, who is the embodiment of every, he's the antithesis of what yeah. I believe Jesus talked about and stood for. Yeah, absolutely. I know. Well, so, you know, it, that, that tension has been there. You know, it's interesting, uh, the contrast between Jesus and, and the Apostle Paul, because Jesus kind of came into a very rigid, very harsh, legalistic, you know, hardline um, sort of locked down religious environment. And his message was largely, you know, look, it isn't about doctrine and dogma and theology. Um, it's it's about the way we think about our enemies. It's the way we treat our neighbors. It's how we frame our understanding of the world and our attitudes. And and uh, it's about loving people. That's the central message. Uh, but then the Apostle Paul comes along and he says, you know, okay, hey, Jesus, yeah, hooray, you know, all, all, all for Jesus. But by the way, it is all about doctrine and dogma and theology. And, <laughs> and uh, one of the things that's happened through the centuries really is that liberals tend to like Jesus and conservatives tend to like Paul. And um, Paul, Paul, you know, came from that Pharisaic tradition, very hardline, very rigid, uh, very much about doctrine and theology and uh, not to discount doctrine and dogma and theology, but, um, you know, it was Thomas Jefferson who said that Paul was the first great corrupter of Christ. And um, you are I, you are speaking my language, brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, really, really what um, happened is that uh, oftentimes the church has gravitated towards Paul and away from Jesus. And I think we really see that in this last 50 years. Uh, it, it, what's happened through the evangelical church. I remember even in high school, like, you know, we had that Bible you referred to, the red letter Bible, which was the words of Jesus were outlined in red. And we thought, well, what is that? What does that mean? And the pastor came and encouraged us to, you know, turn to <laughs> turn to the writings of Apostle Paul because, you know, Jesus sound, sounded a whole lot more like Bob Dylan than he did like Henry Kissinger, you know? <laughs> so... Um, that that really um, has been at, at at the heart of it, and if you listen to re evangelicals today, they they like to talk about who Jesus was, and they like to talk about what Jesus did, but they do not like to talk about what Jesus said, right? Because what Jesus said was intensely radical and spoken in a context where religious conservatives were. Um, just so dominant, and um, you know, those were his enemies. The religious conservatives were Jesus' enemies. Right. So, reading about your book, Radicalizing Peace, it looks like it's going to be available for order on Amazon on November twenty second. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I don't have a copy yet, but I, I guess they they exist. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So it it, just, it looks just have, like just have faith, brother. Have faith. Yeah, yeah, right on. It seems like the kind of book that appeals to people of all different faiths and non-believers. Is is that right? Oh yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's a book that really you could read uh, without the faith perspective. I think what I've got is some 
illustrations from the life of Jesus and then also some quotes from the Bible. But there's quotes from all kinds of things in all sorts of places. And, of course, my hope is that it would speak to everybody, whether you're a Christian or a Muslim or not religious or Buddhist or whatever whatever you may be. I think um, some of these principles are, are uh, thought-provoking. But, yeah, for, for me, the, the ideas essentially sprang from from the Bible and particularly the words of Jesus. Well, listen, even, even as someone who is, you know, I'm, I'm out of the Christian camp and I'm an atheist, there's a lot to be said of, or a lot to be learned from the Bible. Uh, there are, for me, there's some problematic points with Jesus. You know, I didn't come to be, sure. bring peace. I came to bring a sword, uh, to, sure, you know, sure. a man against his father. And yeah. I, I don't, so that kind of stuff is problematic for me, but to discount, oh, sure. all, to discount all of the positive, for me, is short-sighted yeah. because there's a lot of good stuff in there that was, you know, not to be all punny with your the title of your book, but super, very radical. It was different. Yeah. It was new. It was it was beyond avant-garde. I mean, he was he turned the goddamn world on its ear with some yeah. of his philosophies, and that's why it stuck around for two thousand years. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, that's absolutely true. It's still it's still. Uh, I mean, you can only imagine in the world in, into which he entered what that stuff must have, must have sounded like. But still, uh, it's incredible. And then when people who are, are not familiar with it hear it for the first time, they're like, wow, they're so surprised because they have such a different perception from observing Christians. And so do you think people are going to be surprised reading this book on the, t- the tips you give? Do you give tips for <laughs> how to become more peaceful, how to be like this? Yeah, the book is mostly really, uh, yes, especially the last chapter has some very concrete, like, you know, there's discussions about, well, how, how do we identify organizations that are doing something and how do we give? And then there's, you know, a, a section about, well, protesting pro and con and does it work or is it counterproductive and that's awesome you know, the very practical things like that at the very uh, for, uh, that represent the last chapter most of the book really is about attitudes and based on the premise that um really the problem starts at the grassroots level and i think we see that in something like the election of donald trump where uh, attitudes that are expressed and the way they're expressed and the way we talk to each other and the way we kind of hunker down just with our own communities and just self-segregate into groups of people who think just like we do. And, you know, that's where the heart of the problem lies. The reason, you know, people get elected is because it's a reflection of what's happening in everyday normal conversation. And so the book is mostly about trying to think about, well, how should we think about enemies? It's about things, you know, things like, um, you know, humility, like how do we bring humility? And I mean, everybody's so opinionated, you know, about everything. <laughs> we live in the information age. And how people think, dare you, sir? How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we think we have all the information because we watch our chosen news source 20, 25, 30 hours a week, and we don't have all the information. So trying to bring a little humility to the conversation. It's about, you know, in defense of kindness and maybe even in defense of political correctness. And uh, it's about forgiveness. Uh, It's about um, realizing that if you're going to be a peacemaker, you're going to have to challenge your friends, you know, the people who you agree with. You're going to have to 
challenge them and you're going to have to love your enemies. And yeah, that's, that is going to make you not uh, popular with a lot of people. Well, a lot of these, a lot of these terms get thrown around, like you mentioned political correctness and political correctness. It means something different than what it's being used as today. Today, it's yeah. just being used as an, I'm not politically correct. No, you just mean you're a prick. You're you're not yeah. <laughs> you're you're just yeah. not empathetic to your fellow man. You're not Absolutely. showing grace and love and kindness. You're just being an asshole. That, yes, that, 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 that that's right. That's that, Donald that, Trump's version of political correctness. Yeah. It's just become uh, you know it's just become an excuse to be to be rude. Yeah. Uh, um, and to be thoughtless and to not think about how other people uh, feel about things and and. Um, you know, it's it's just a kind of a weak, lame little phrase to throw out there so you can be a jerk. Yeah, it's a bummer. Well, well let me ask you this then, Mark. Who yeah. who would be your the the target audience for this? I mean, it sounds like it's not just uh, you you know you talked about Muslims and and mm -hmm. and Buddhists or whoever, but mm -hmm. who who'd you have in mind when you sat down to put uh, pen to paper or clickety clack on the keyboards? Well, you know, pretty much I was thinking about anybody reasonable. I very much uh, would hope that this would be a book that uh, Christians would pick up and would read. And my one of my, you know, one of the big parts of my mission, my purpose in life is to try to help people who maybe come from that rigid, uh, more judgmental, you know, sort of maybe anti-science, anti-intellectual kind of background to kind of help those people to see something and to be exposed to something that they haven't maybe seen or been exposed to before and that it would be acceptable to them because it's coming from a biblical perspective and uh, offering an alternative. So um, I think first and foremost, that's what I hope because that's a part of my mission is to help people be less like Pharisees and more like Jesus and to um, create a, a kind of Christianity that isn't a private club for Republicans only. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and yet, you know, I, I um, have always tried to um, bring people along slowly. So I think, and, and this is one of the chapters of my book, really, you know, when we get up and preach to the choir, like I could, you know, just preach to the liberal choir, and uh, just talk to people who politically I agree with, and really it doesn't do anything. Um, so I've tried to write a book that I think can speak to people maybe who come from some more conservative backgrounds. And honestly, if uh, there's a group that I'd like to see transition, it would be that group. So I've kind of written in a language and in a tone that I think would appeal to them. But at the same time, I do think that it's a book that uh, just the basic principles and ideas can apply to absolutely anybody. And I think that um, it would be great if, if um, you know, to hear feedback from people who are not from that Christian perspective and to, to get their ideas and, and um, reactions to, to what they read. 
Well, it sounds like it could also be useful for people who who love those rigid people, right? Who have rigid people in their life Mm -hmm. that are difficult to talk to. You know, it's difficult on the holidays to be around them or have these conversations. So it sounds like it could be useful in kind of how to talk to them. Here's the tools and here's maybe some things that you can say to approach it without being controversial or without pushing them away. Yeah, definitely a part of it is to help people to articulate uh, what they've been feeling. I know that for me, so many times in the past, I've had all these thoughts and feelings or reactions about this or that, and then I read somebody who just put it down on a page and kind of had had a chance to think about it and, and wrote about it, and I thought, oh, that's absolutely a great expression or a great way to say what I've been thinking but haven't had the words for. Right. So I hope that that uh, it will do that too. And for those people who do love, you know, the conservative have very conservative people in their life. Um, hopefully, it gives uh, them a little bit more perspective, a little bit more patience. You know, you're not going to convert somebody in one meeting or one conversation, and no one ever, <laughs> no one ever has changed their mind because they lost an argument. You know, we people don't don't change because they lose arguments. Um, and I think making people feel valued and seeing their point of view and perspective is um, a lot of what I, I've tried to write about in, in the book. And I think a more patient approach over time, that's when when uh, values and ideas can can change. I think it's good to push people, you know, kind of to the edge, but you have to know where the edge is. And certainly some people you'll push over the edge. But but if you're willing slowly with a, a long term strategy to to take people towards that edge occasionally without always being there, I think that edge gets deeper. It, it you know, the edge grows further out. And um, that's kind of been my philosophy of how to help people see a new way uh, over time. I think you're touching on something vitally important that we, we lose sight of a lot of times because it's the patience. It's the, the long game, if you will, that we live in a fast food culture. Yeah. Everything is right now from our entertainment yeah. to our to our even our, our food, our sustenance. Everything is right now. And mm-hmm. we expect to change the, the hearts and minds of everyone right now. Um, yeah. we, I see it on Facebook. And, mm-hmm. you know, Brittany and I talk about it all the time about don't withdraw from those kind of discussions. And, and also don't get in your mind that you you're not going to make any difference at all because there might be people on the sidelines who are watching that you're over time going to chip away at their worldview and -hmm. they'll come around we've had people uh individually message us and say hey i appreciate all of that you you really you help me you know into the next phase of my life relative to how i believe about things and Mm -hmm. that approach that you're talking about the the long suffering, you know, just stick around, be, mm-hmm. be patient, I think is uh, super important. Yeah, because it really, I mean, even research shows that, that, uh, well, I mean, so much research shows actually that, that if we just are um, beating people over the head or trying to change their mind with the facts, I mean, I think we've all learned here, the facts don't matter, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I think that actually when you present people with facts that are contrary to what they believe, it only hardens them and makes them mad. Um, and, and so what really is required is, is patience, kindness, 
generosity, a willingness to listen, a willingness to allow them a chance to convert you. Uh, that that's what wins the respects that make makes people go back and and rethink their opinions over time, and it's a gradual thing. There are periods in history where there have been radical shifts in the way people think and believe. I think you know one example is the attitude, how quickly attitudes changed about homosexuality. Um, you know, there's a, a unique set of circumstances there where people started feeling free to come out of the closet, and then everyone realized, oh, I know gay people. Oh, in fact, they're my family members right. or the guy at work that I think is so awesome and they're so cool. And you're telling me, you know, they're this and this and this and they're not. And, you know, that that's that kind of thing is what changed people's um, hearts and minds. But that was a unique uh, point in history and a unique set of circumstances. And we'll pray and hope that we get more of those. But the truth is that that um, it's kindness that changes people. It's um you know, having a generous spirit towards people and their flaws. And then all of us have to recognize that we're all stupid. You know, I mean, we're all stupid about something. Uh, <laughs> yes. I, me more, more things than others usually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, you may be really bright about politics or whatever, but you're, you're stupid about relationships or the way you treat people or, you know, everybody, you know, we're just people and, 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 um, None of us have got it all right, and I just feel like that that attitude goes a long way to changing hearts and minds. Absolutely. Well, let me tell you, I, I can tell you from personal experience, I, I, and I'm not, this isn't, I don't need to give a qualifier, I really wish that there had been a book like this, or I, I had, uh, had been exposed to a book like this when I was deep in the throes of my Christianity, because mm-hmm. you know I grew up in northern Idaho, I grew right. up wildly concerned i believe that democrats hated america and wanted yep. they they were at the forefront of bringing down this great nation i, I was, right. I was right. taught that i left the, right. i left the marine corps and went to work on capitol hill and was exposed to i worked right on the floor of the senate and i was exposed to all these men that i'd been watching on c-span thinking that they were great americans stalwart conservatives people who were right. patriots and then the Democrats, like Paul Wellstone, I thought were just filthy socialists who hated America and wanted to see it fall. And I yeah. learned I learned very quickly that, for instance, Paul Wellstone, one of the most beautiful, loving, kind men I've ever met. He, he died in a plane crash a few years yeah. ago during, a, during his campaign. But it, it, it rocked my worldview. Because yeah. I had been raised thinking that Democrats mm-hmm. were not the, – there was no way that, that uh, a Democrat party affiliation, it was not in no way compatible to Christianity. That's what I believed. Right. So a book, right. a book like this for me then would have been transformative because I truly believed that Jesus was the Son of God. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you what you're touching on there, Jesse, is really the heart of our problem in America because – we just give each other either or choices and it's, it's this or it's that and it's, or it's black and it's white. And, you know, a lot of times liberals are just as bad about that as conservatives and, and everything is like, so like, you know, it's either Fox news or MSNBC. You've got to choose, you know, what's your choice. It's this way or that way. And there's not a whole lot of room left to, you know, for, for gray because everything is so, incredibly polarized yeah well we 
we do do it. We 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 try to do a, a good job of, of staying down the middle on, on the show and and looking things yeah. from a different perspective. I mean, hence the name. I doubt it. We're going to doubt both sides and kind of come to the conclusion in the middle there. Yeah. How, however, I think that we're in different times right now. We, we're yeah. in we're in new times and new territory with Donald Trump. He is a character unlike anything the United States has ever yeah. seen. And I'm not going to sit here and make a, a Hitler comparison, although the fact that I said I'm not going to do it just did it. Uh, <laughs> it is scary times. They are uncertain times. The fact that he's surrounding yeah. himself with avowed alt-right racist yeah. In, it's insane that Steve yeah, Bannon is going to be like the the chairman of the of the administration, who yeah. in sworn court documents says he doesn't like Jews. That's yeah. that's problematic and it's scary for people yeah. like like me. I'm I'm a little I'm freaked out and I've I've worked in Washington. I understand the yeah. system. It's it's fucking scary, man. Yeah, it it it's really. Um... I don't know. It just, I, I still feel like I'm going to wake up. You know, it, it, it just feels like it's this stunning victory for fear and ignorance. And, um, I, you know, you, I don't know, after the election happened, it, I guess I was feeling like, wow, that means half the people who voted, well, obviously not quite half of the people who, who voted, uh, felt like it, you know, they were willing to tolerate a racist in the, White House and maybe a quarter of those like wanted a racist at the White House. But but um, the more I thought about it, I, I think, you know, the the one thing is that who knows what percentage, but a high percentage and maybe most of those who voted for him did so hold in their nose. Yeah, and, I, I believe uh, that. I believe that 100 percent. Yeah. And and dislike a lot of the same things that we dislike and don't feel great about it. And so that's probably hopeful. And who knows, you know, maybe, maybe he'll be able to, I mean, there's nothing in his character that demonstrates he can do this, but maybe he will be someone who has a campaign mode and then he has a non-campaign mode. And maybe that non-campaign mode will be, you know, less difficult. (laughs) Well, listen, I I don't, like I said, I don't want to make this whole thing about politics, but, yeah. but yeah. for me, it's it's really not – if I was certain about what would happen, I think it would be less damaging for my psyche. It's the, yeah. the stark uncertainty of what's to come that really is driving the angst in, in America right now because we don't yeah. know. We have no idea. Is he going to be a different kind of guy? Is he going to shift mm-hmm. his tone? Or is he going to continue to attack the New York Times from his Twitter account as president-elect of the United States? It's those mm-hmm. kind of questions that I think are driving the the psychic yeah. wound even deeper in America. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's pretty clear that he doesn't know how to not react. I mean, any little slight uh, is going to draw, you know, a three o'clock <laughs> Twitter attack. You know, he can't let anything go. And that's, you know, he's going to sue the women who accused him or which I doubt he would, but, you know, start an inquiry and put Hillary in jail and you just can't let anything go and everything needs a reaction and everything needs a, yeah, uh, you know, I tell you what, here's what we'll do. We should, we should appeal to the audience. Everybody Mm. pool, pool a couple bucks and we'll Mm -hmm. buy, we'll buy him a case of your book. 
Radical, <laughs> radicalizing piece, which is available on Amazon on, we believe, the 20th. 22nd. So the 22nd. 22nd. Yes, yes. And uh, maybe maybe it could break through even the hardest shell in Donald Trump. <laughs> we'll see. We'll hope for the best. We got we to gotta, we gotta love the guy. It's, uh, it's part of what Jesus said. So, you know, he is what he is for a reason. So uh, we've got to try to figure that out and maybe uh, see what love, what, what kind of number we can do on him with love. We'll see. Well, the, you know, I love that. <laughs> there, well, there's no, there's no way to argue that. We, we have to. Yeah. It's been said that we, we got to root for the guy, because yeah. now, now he's. I mean, Sam Harris, I think, put it very, very aptly that mm-hmm. he's. If you, if you have, uh, your, your, the, the pilot dies and you're in a plane and it's crashing, and someone who was just an asshole for the entire flight <laughs> gets at the helm. You mm-hmm. don't you don't wish for him to fail because you, everybody's going to die. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, you absolutely. want him to land that plane. And, Absolutely. you know, we want him, if he's going to be at the controls, to do a good job. So, Absolutely. That's right. And, yeah. may, and maybe maybe he will get a, a, a copy of your book and, and you know, it'll be a, a, a dramatic transformation. Oh, maybe. <laughs> or maybe I'll end up in jail. One of the two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. All we can do is wait and see. I mean, one of the things I think about America is that we've always had a swing between left and right and liberal and conservative and progressive and traditional. And, you know, in a snapshot, wherever you are can look scary, but I think through the last couple of centuries, that uh, rhythm between those sides and the swing back and forth between those sides has actually made us better. And in China, you know, they don't have that. They, they, you know, People don't argue over politics. There's no point. The same side always wins. And if the same side always won here, it, it would be bad. And, and that, you know, that hasn't made China better to just, you know, have one team. Yeah, for sure. Two teams and sometimes one team wins and sometimes the other team wins. And, you know, when the other team wins, you write it out and, and it always swings back and, and, um, that that kind of has um, done something good for us through the century. So we kind of have to keep it in historical perspective. And uh, bad things will happen, but um, you know, uh, uh, another another day will come. And and um, you just gotta uh, believe that all all in all, in the end, it's going to make us better. Well, if anything comes from this, what I really hope for is that maybe people will really pay attention to the last chapter of your book and it yeah. will it will inflame their passion to get involved whether it be at their community level with right. LGBT groups or women's organizations or the ACLU or environmental groups get involved because it yeah. is the grassroots level that things that's where real change gets affected especially with yeah. what you said about challenging your friends and how that doesn't need to happen in a hostile way it, there's no. a very productive way to do that and i think a, a lot of times we talk about on the show is the echo chamber right people want to create this echo chamber for themselves where they're surrounding themselves with only people that agree with them only people that have their worldview and even yeah. facebook their algorithm does this for you so they yep. track your likes they track the things that you like and they start showing you more of what you like rather than things you might disagree with and yep. I, I think moving away from that is going to be the the best thing we can do for ourselves and for society as a whole oh yeah 
It's true. So true. Yeah. Well, also, I think that coming coming at an issue, whether it be especially from changing hearts and minds, if you come at it from a position of love and not a position of arrogance of, you know, fuck you, I'm right, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, and I'm look, I'm the biggest victim. I'm I'm the biggest culprit. I'm terrible. Brittany teaches me every single day how to be a better communicator <laughs> because I, you know, I tend toward the fiery. I tend toward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, being a little a little radical, but not radicalized peace. I'm kind of an aggressive asshole. <laughs> and uh, she she draws me back in from the brink all the time. Yeah, and I could use a lot more love and empathy and compassion in my life when reaching out to others. So, you know, may, maybe I need your book. <laughs> well, everything everything drives, you know, it's just driving us to greater segregation now, segregation of thought and. And uh, that's why we're where where we're at, and I think you just have to kind of battle battle that and not be willing to segregate. I, I kind of think of like you know in Ireland there's there's Catholic pubs and there's Protestant pubs, and you know in those pubs people sing loudly and they say what they think, and they're you know it's easy to be in there if you're right. on that team. But there are also pubs that are neutral in Ireland and people don't sing as loud and people are more careful and it's probably a little less fun uh, and harder, harder to be there. But that, those are the pubs that are making Ireland better. And the Irish pubs and the Catholic pubs are the pubs that are making Ireland worse. And, um, if we're not willing to get uncomfortable and like in my church, I want conservatives and I want liberals. I want them both because if they're not both there, then I don't know what my mission is. I don't know what I'm accomplishing. Um, it's, you know, we don't sing as loud. Uh, everyone's a, a little bit careful, and and it's not as easy as being with everybody you want to be with, but it makes us better. Right. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly believe that. Well, listen, God, this is awesome. I really appreciate you yeah, coming on. You guys, you guys are great. Um, I, I'm going to get a hold of the book. It, it is available for pre-order now on Amazon. Yeah. The release yeah. date is November 22nd. Get out there and buy this book. Um, if you have questions for Mark, we'd I'd love to have you back on. That would be great. If the audience had some, you, of course, you can send a voicemail, 657-464-7609. You can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We'll be taking all questions all queries, all suggestions for maybe radicalizing peace part two <laughs> for Mark Trailer. Mark, thank you for coming on. You guys uh, have a great time, and thanks again for having me on. Thanks a lot. All right. Well, that was uh, that was fantastic. We need to do that more often, Brittany Page. Yeah, we do. I and- mean, really, the guests, and let, let me say this. The world would be a better place if we had more Mark trailers in it. I agree. If more Christians had the mindset and the mentality and just a heart filled with love and empathy and grace like that man, it would be a better place. I agree. Yeah. That's why I wanted him on the show. (laughs) Absolutely. That was a good get. Yeah. Good choice. And even though we are not religious, we are non-believers... We can support a movement toward more peaceful yeah. <laughs> interactions Listen. and less radicalization, less 
hostility, less hatred, yeah. right? A lot of vitriol comes out of that yeah. um, side of the spectrum. <laughs> well, look, a move in the right direction. Sometimes. A move in the right direction is a move in the right direction. Whether it be, no matter what ethos it's based on, and how can you, how could someone have something negative to say about that? I mean, what a good guy. Right. Uh, seriously, I would encourage everybody to go out there and buy his book. It's not one of those monster hardcover, crazy priced ones on on Amazon. It's like fifteen bucks or less. It's 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 a uh, super reasonable, and I am looking forward to getting it and and uh, getting into it and seeing what it's about. So. We will put that information in the show notes. If you guys get it and you have questions, I seriously, I had a good time, so I'd love to have him back. That would be awesome. Um, look for the information there. As always, we love you guys. If you have a, a, a suggestion, if you have somebody you'd like to hear on the show for these bonus episodes that we want to start doing far more of in this coming year, let us know. 657-464-7609. I doubt it at dollamore.com. Find us on Twitter at I doubt it podcast or just scream really loud out your window and hope we hear it. That would be great. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been Bonus I Doubt It. How dare you, sir? How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> <laughs>